thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Ryan. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you today as well. And so we are finishing side B. This is the latter half, but really, it's uh, let's we have to be capacious, I think, in our argumentation. So we're going to dip back into some themes from the first part, because right. uh, is there a more capacious theoretical text than this one? Uh, or one that, that repeats and continually to goes, go, go back to the same themes. Pierre dies at one point in the second half of right. the book, right. which if he was, um, if this, if the, the title being in nothingness, if it was a mumblecore movie, I think the title would be Pierre dies at one point would be the, that would be, yeah, the that's title really the, good. Uh, yeah. I think for sure. But so yeah. we're, um, so we're picking up our conversation last time about Sartre on being in nothingness and we're going to start, uh, we're going to go through a number of different things, uh, which is uh, freedom is where we're going to start. We're going to talk about the uh, the way the other operates for him, um, also the way the object, I think, operates for him. And, of right. course, we're going to get into existential psychoanalysis, as he calls it. And the important thing, there's going to be a lot, because we're, we're getting toward the conclusions in the book, like I, I feel like almost every turn you and I are going to have a, a, a nit to pick and like a, a huge structural problem with how he got to his conclusion. But like the Correct. important thing to keep in mind, yes. Yeah. The important thing to keep in mind is not that we're disagreeing, but it's just it, the, the conclusions that Sartre comes to, they come from his initial premises. They don't, they are not just magicked out of nowhere after he said something else that conflicts, like he's completely consistent. So we're just trying to, trace out some of the consistencies. And I think it's really valuable and important to see the kind of theoretical uh, consistency that he has and where that puts him at odds with some of the people that we like to talk about all the time and how, for one thing, as we clarify Sartre's project through his attempted negation of Hegel, Freud, uh, not Lacan because he doesn't mention him, but some of the stuff that Lacan will talk about those projects themselves, I think become clearer as well. And I think that is something yeah. that you and I find really valuable. So Todd, what's Plus, the money? He's line? just a great, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Don't you think he's just a great thinker? I mean, he, yeah. he, he I, I don't know. I find him so appealing, even though there are these points, it's almost like, I don't know. There, <laughs> there are other thinkers where I can agree more mm. and yet I find them overall not so appealing. And mm-hmm, Sartre, mm-hmm. there are like a lot of points at which I'm like, eh, kind of not <laughs> right on that. But I find him yeah. overall so appealing. So mm. I and I, I have no problem thinking of myself as an existentialist. So I think it's, right. I think there's something there's something really at the core of it. Maybe we'll try to get to maybe that we'll get to that re- even in this first thing we're right. going to talk about. Right. Like we, yeah, we, I, yeah. I, th- I think you're, well, I think so. Yeah, this is what I was, I was going to uh, tee you up for this one. I think this might be it, is that like at the core, I mean, there is, there are some things like, I mean, as we're going to get to, it's possible that he invents Ayn Rand at, at one point in this book, like, and, you know, which of course we're on the other side of, but which, and again, we'll explain that a little bit later, but he also has, of course, this belief in collectivity that does not appear in any sort of Randian philosophy to put, right. I'm putting air quotes over that, uh, the word philosophy when I say Randian, uh, but, but the, there, there is, there is something at the, um, well, what would you say? Wormed at the heart of this. <laughs> that is that it, I think part the, the nature of its appeal and, and maybe it is the money line on freedom 
that I want right. you to, to, to give right. to everybody right we now. We are condemned to freedom, right? Like that's condemned. the condemned. And it's interesting to, uh, obviously, and he knows he's doing this. Uh, and the words are, although the word freedom doesn't exist in French, right? It's liberté. So that's mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, but condemned is, is basically the same word. Um, so uh, it's interesting that he would use condemned and freedom in the same sentence, right? Like that seems... Those words mm-hmm. seem contradictory, but his point is that you don't ever have the choice not to be free or not. So that's that's why mm-hmm. he uses that term "condemned." So we're and and why that is, is because we're always thrust into a situation where we're forced mm-hmm. to make a choice to be free. But and I think this is the this is the thing I find maybe most appealing about him. We're never reducible to the situation, and I think so many thinkers that we encounter today, either for Mm. biological or for cultural reasons, see us as in some way reducible to the situation. But for, Mm -hmm. you know, Sartre famously says that the subject is de trop, which means it's too much. So it doesn't, it's excessive to its situation. And I think that's, that seems really powerful and and good. I think that, that this, this failure to fit is, that's the nature of our freedom because we don't fit in the situation that we're in, yet we're always in a situation, but we don't fit in it, and so we're free. Yeah. It's 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 interesting. Like, I, I mean, he's talking about the same kind of excessive subjectivity, if you like, that, you know, to, to steal, to, to, to paraphrase uh, Molly Ann Rothenberg's really, really great book, The Excessive yeah. Subject, yeah. Um, that is completely... Uh, uh, copacetic with with a uh, lacanian psychoanalysis especially uh but with what you know what freud and uh, and others are, are tracing out like uh it's it is it's it's fascinating and and where for him and i think this is incredibly valuable whether you can uh where you land on his conclusions uh i think almost doesn't matter because it will for this specific point is that how do you become aware of your of of your own excessiveness as a subject in the situation that you're in? It's through the project, yeah. And 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 so like having a project, having a uh, uh how, what would you say like having a theoretical project, having a political project, existential uh, project, an existential project, having something that I, I would say like that aims at not reproducing the repetition of the status quo. Yeah, uh, that shows your excessiveness to you, and and I think that's a, I think that's an incredibly valuable idea. It, it, it's a, such a great point by you because I think for him, freedom. You know, it, it, it's tempting to see him because he sees us as isolated individuals. We'll get to that. That's why you made the connection to Anne Rand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tempting to see him as a liberal thinker in line with capital. Of course, he was a Marxist mm-hmm, fellow mm-hmm. traveler, so that's in a certain yeah. way not true, but just theoretically. But I think what saves him from that is precisely this idea of the project, that our freedom for him is not the freedom of, you know, Crest or Colgate, you know, or mm-hmm. Scope or <laughs> Listerine, right? Like, <laughs> it's nice. the free. <laughs> Sorry. It's the no, freedom. no, I like, I, I like that we're doing toothpaste. That's, I think that's, a, that's good. Yeah. It's the freedom of, uh, 
I, I just know because whenever I, I'm thinking of toothpaste because whenever I go into the bathroom, the toothpaste is always still open. It's just mm. if you that's one reason an argument for not having kids. If you like your toothpaste the, the cover back on it, don't don't have kids. Uh, that's really but, funny. <laughs> but I think um there I mean they, of course they have other rewards, but that's one thing. You're have <laughs> no, to. but that's a clear that's a clear it's detraction. A, it's a thing. Uh, like yeah. if it bothers yeah. you a lot, then then that's a choice you should you should not make. Uh, so, so I think that the difference between that kind of choice mm-hmm. and what Sartre's talking about, the choice of a project, is really immense. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that I, I think he doesn't quite say this, but I think his view is that within the project, basically you don't have any choice at all, right? Like mm. once you yeah. choose the project, like if my project is to go to war and defend my country or, or aggress on behalf of my country. Sure. I, I, when I'm out there, I got to, I kind of got to do it. But, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I could have a project of being a pacifist. So it could be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think that I find that pretty interesting that freedom isn't on this day to day commodity level. Like what should I right. buy? How, what should I wear? Mm-hmm. What car should I drive? What, how, you know, should I, which I, any of these questions, it's more on the mm-hmm. level of the project, on the, this, right. this larger level. And I really, really like that about him. Final thing I'll say about that, or maybe not final because you're going to have something else to say. But <laughs> yeah. next thing I'll say about that is I have contended to someone who was a Heidegger expert and they didn't like this idea, but that didn't discourage me from it. Okay. That okay. The thing that really separates, because they thought Heidegger is such a greater thinker than Sartre. This is not my mm-hmm. view, but that's what they thought. I think the thing that really distinguishes Heidegger from Sartre is that Heidegger has no conception at all of the project. So Mm. for Heidegger, we're thrust into a situation. We don't fit into it. Okay, yes, that's true. Yep, yep. That that matches with Sartre. That matches with Sartre. But Mm -hmm. there's no way of, 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 there's no idea of conversion in Heidegger because he's so, Mm. he's so anti-religious, I think, that, Whereas there's a kind of religious element to, even though he's totally atheistic to Sartre, right, right. that of like, there, there's a, you can convert, you can, you can, I had one project, my, right. you know, I had a project when I was in early college of being a monk and then at some point, or, or being an NFL player, both were kind of melded together. I was going to be a, <laughs> live in a monastery in the off season and then That's... play in the NFL in the <laughs> season. Uh, but then, but then some point my project changed, right? So that's, mm-hmm. I, and I underwent a radical conversion. And I think that's the kind of thing that he allows for that Heidegger doesn't allow for. So all that you can do in Heidegger is will to will. Like there was this famous mm-hmm. vote in 1933 to affirm the Fuhrer as the, as the leader of, of Germany, right? As the, as the mm-hmm. will of Germany. And it was really basically just a vote to, to vote, uh, basically a vote where all you could do is affirm mm-hmm. Hitler. And and right. Heidegger came out in favor of it, saying we need to will to will, right? Like we need to accept mm-hmm. our historical destiny. And I think that, I think Sartre, there, there's never this notion of accepting one's historical destiny because one can always change one's project. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I think it's kind of interesting that this is where he's, so he, he, 
he misreads Hegel, and uh, this is probably something we're going to get to. It, it, it's very he misreads likely. everyone. Just everyone. Mis- <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no one gets left out. <laughs> no one gets left out. So at one point, at one point, Sartre refers to uh, uh, he the phrase Hegelian monism is a phrase in being in nothingness. Which yes, is, it is. Like that is not. That is, that's that's that, but it's a good that's a good way of thinking. What's the problem with thinking Hegel as a thinker of synthesis? It's that Sartre's right about that. If you think, if your position, and I think this, this kind of goes along with with his point, which his right. wider point about the project, which I'll get to. But if you're at the position of Hegel as a thinker of synthesis, then then what you are kind of obliged to conclude is that he is a thinker of a single substance with just extra steps. That's 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 sort of how you have to right. think about it. Now it's right. not it's not correct as we talk about. Like we mentioned this many different times. Uh, Hegel is critical of the ancient dialectic that ends in synthesis, and he never one time says that his dialectic is thesis antithesis synthesis. He doesn't mention he is, any of those terms. Maybe thesis in a critical way, but yeah, yeah. But just but just dialect. But just he does say dialectical. He does all say dialectic all yeah. the time. But and. In Sartre's thing is uh, that Hegel sees uh, the contradiction uh, from coming from the from external. It's never internal. So anyway, um, but this is on on this point that you're making about like the the conversion, like changing the project. This is where Sartre is Hegelian in the way that we see him as like this. this there's this retroactivity yes, that he allows absolutely. for, right. you know. And and I right. think there are. Um, there That's really points. good, Ryan. He's like a thinker okay. of noctreglicite. He's a thinker of yeah. retroactivity. Yeah, I think it's really yeah, good. Yeah, because there yeah. are points in this book where you can see that he does think we can remake the past, which was like, yeah. I think, our, our, our argument, one of our arguments about Hegel, and this came up in the Tenet episode, where like it's the it's not about setting the ground for the future. That's not the task of, uh, of philosophy. Uh, uh, it, it, it's because... I mean, I, I think this. I think Hegel had figured his way out of the owl of Minerva, but then he moved away from it because I think yeah. this is this is it. Is that you? You remake the past, it, like like you can't you can't wait for the present to happen. What you do is you 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 remake right. the the past. You know, you you find a way to see see the past in some kind of radicality. And I think Sartre is on is on that side here. So I would say it maybe it's similar to what uh, Zizek says about Lacan that Lacan is most Hegelian when he thinks he's you know, contra Hegel, um, and least Hegelian when he is yeah. agreeing with him. Um, I think it's, same it's the thing. same, same yeah. thing here for Sartre. And I think yeah. that that's that idea of the, of the project of like changing the project of retroactively, like what I suppose what we might say is like requilting yourself. Right. Uh, because you know, a, right. Yeah. Like wouldn't, isn't the great example, like, uh, I think I'm just having a good time, having sex with a lot of people, getting <laughs> yeah. drunk a lot, and then I convert to Christianity and I realize I had been living a life of sin, right? And sure. so yeah, yeah. those events, which stay the same in a certain way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. become radically altered in another way. Or, right? Todd, the complete opposite of that. The complete opposite, absolutely. Yeah, right. where, where then your, your fidelity to like uh, some kind of oppressive... Uh, 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 Christianity, where you you never did anything like that, that becomes the yeah. sin, right? Yeah, you, you, right. yeah. yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, I sinned by wasting my life away in uh, chastity, right? Right, like that, right. That, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Could go either and, way. Yeah, and all, and and why are you able to? Like, I think it, again, it follows from his 
from his whole thing, I, I do think this is something that you and I both like about him is that like, if, if you, if you have as your starting point that we are condemned to freedom, then you can always make that, make that project conversion. You can right. always do that. Yeah. And, and, it, I, and, and that's, and you're condemned and you're, in fact, you're maybe even condemned to it. Yeah, please. Go ahead. No, I, I just think it's such a good point that, that in a way he's the best thinker like he's bad on a lot of things. He's bad on unconscious. He's bad on dialectics. Yes. yes. He's really bad on the other, but yes. and bad on desire. <laughs> he's mad on all he's, these things. Yes. But just basically <laughs> terrible. But on yeah. this, he's amazing because mm. I think more than any other thinker, he gets like Hegel, you can read, you can, you can make it clear that he's talking about retroactivity and you can read him mm-hmm. that way, but he's not explicit about it. But mm-hmm. I think Sartre's pretty explicit about it, right? Like he's mm-hmm. pretty, it's pretty clear that that's what the project does, that it, it basically changes the past. And I think it's tied to, we talked about last time, these different temporal, what he calls ecstasies, right? Like, like these mm-hmm. ways in which we're outside of ourselves, both to the future, but to the past. So we, we make a project to the future about a kind of future we envision for ourselves. And then that changes our relation to our own past. So I, I think mm. on this on this question and that that sole concept of the project, I think he's unmatched as a mm. thinker, really just incredible. Well, now let's get into some stuff that uh, we we don't like so much yeah. <laughs> or, and, and doesn't, yeah, yeah. doesn't follow so much. Yeah. So wrapped up in this uh, is uh, being for others. And... And I think there, there's Which is a basically lot of po- the, the, the second, I guess it's part three of the book starts with mm-hmm. being for others. Right. 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 And this, this, um, so this is where I, I do think he's very, uh, Heideggerian. I mean, it, it's kind of, if you, if you are familiar with the, they from Heidegger, then what Sartre is talking about, about being for others, like there, there is a, uh, or a, a, a capitulation yeah. to the, the demand of the other, it is, um, I don't know, like, would, like it's a concrete superego. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's, it's similar. Uh, something like uh, that. I, yeah. It's something, yeah. it's something like that. But it, it, he, there are all kinds of different things that he thinks like I, um, like uh, one, some, something that I, that I'm like r- radically uh, opposed to is that he thinks all sincerity is a, is a being for others. And it's you outside of yourself. Right. Then you are you're not doing what you should be doing, and this is why this is why I said he invents Ayn Rand. That it, it, it's this there there is this kind of like a, a rad. You could read it as a radical selfishness that selfishness. like all yeah. all in the world is like there are people they put demands on you to try to try to take from you, and that all that you try to do is to appease them, make make them happy, yep. and that takes you farther away from your, your, your subjectivity your, and, and your desire. Right. And your yeah, right, right. And it, because your and, desire is like his, his notion, I mean, it's even more radical. I mean, okay, you're right about this connection with the Heideggerian they or Dasman, but, but mm-hmm. uh, he, there's a whole critique of Heidegger for this idea that we're originally with others. Like he thinks mm-hmm. Heidegger is too collectivist. He thinks, <laughs> you know, he thinks our original relation to others is just conflict. It's like Hobbesian. Mm. It's, mm. you know, we're in, 
the other's trying to eat you, you're trying to eat it. It's a fight to mm-hmm. the death. And, and that's basically how he sees every relation, including love, right? Like, yeah. like the, the description of love in the concrete relations with others section is one of the saddest I've ever read. It's just sad. <laughs> I agree it's, completely. It's so sad. It's like love, you know, what does he say? Like the lover wants a pledge, but is disgusted by a pledge. Like, so love is basically for him some kind of like competition where you're trying to beat down the will of the other. And then once you get the other to submit to you, you're like, ah, that's disappointing. They submitted. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's like, it's like he's, he's taken the Hegelian master servant dialectic, which is informs this entire second, I mean, second half of the book. And he said like, oh, that's operative for every kind of relation, including love. And I, I just, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of crazy because Hegel's whole, it doesn't come at the end of the book. Hegel's <laughs> whole point is this is a failed way to think about things. Yeah. So how do you. Be, can you, can you actually, I think this is really, really important. Yeah. Can you re, re-square that circle about the, the, uh, the, as I'm going to insist, because it's Herod Connect, the Lord and Bondsman dialectic as a failed, uh, we're like, can you square that, re-square that again? Because I think that'd be really helpful for, uh, yeah, yeah. for the so, present so, conversation and for, and for Hegel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Hegel's idea is that, that, that you're using the proper terms. I, I, I'm tempted always to say master-slave following Co- Alexander so, Kojev, but yes, I at least yes, get myself to say master-servant. Um, so yes. the, the, the master-servant dialectic, Hegel's point is the master is looking for affirmation of their way of approaching the world in the validation they get, the recognition they get from the servant, right? But mm-hmm. the problem is that the servant gives recognition and the very act of giving recognition proves that the servant isn't worthy of getting recognition, being worthy of having get, gotten recognition from. Right. That is, right. the, the idea is that you can only, you only want recognition from someone that's independent, right? And so mm-hmm. once the person capitulates and then says, okay, I'll be your servant and gives you recognition, then their recognition is valueless. And so right. that's why, that's a point by a line from Alexander Kojev, uh, mastery is an existential impasse, right? And and that's that's basically Hegel's point. And then the rest of the phenomenology of spirit after this dialectic is basically the servant's pathway it's the servant mm-hmm. like the servant is the is the winner basically and that's why marx there's a way in which marx's whole philosophy comes out of that but uh right uh but sartre's point is no this is what we're stuck in but hegel's mm-hmm. like no this no. is the whole po- the whole reason that's at a certain point in the phenomenology of spirit very early in the book is that this is a failed way of imagining subjectivity, right? Or, mm-hmm. or relations. Like it's not a, it's not a, it's not a map of how things actually are. It's a failed yeah. way to think about how things actually are because the contradiction is so evident. It's so, it's so obvious. And then mm-hmm. Sartre's like, oh, okay, I'm going to make that the basis of my whole existential problematic. And that's just, that seems very, very bizarre to me. And just and it just can't be right, but it does inform how he thinks about love, right? Like if you, mm. and think about how wrong that is. Like if you're, 
in love with someone, it means like, you, I mean, there is a contradiction in love, right? The contradiction is, you, we talked about this in the love episode, that you, mm-hmm. you, your act elevates someone else above you. So right. that, how can that be? Like you're, you're the one elevating and yet you've elevated them above you. There's a contradiction. Right. But, right. Uh, but it's not, you want them to capitulate. And then when they capitulate and like, look, I hate this kind of way of thinking, but Sartre's depiction of love is kind of like the worst macho, like mm. notches on the bed. Like, did, <laughs> yeah. did, you, did I get her? Oh, wait, she gave in. I, it's not worth anything. Yeah. Right? Like that. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, but that's, that's, that, that, that's basically his conception of love even. And it's so sad. Like, I think yeah. my vision is he and Simone de Beauvoir could have, I mean, she was kind of lesbian, so this maybe wouldn't have worked, but, or she was certainly bisexual. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but they had a, could have had a nice little relationship, except he had this whole wacky conception of love and he couldn't, he couldn't let mm-hmm. him really love her. I don't know. I mean, he had like, I mean, here's some, just some lines, this is 533 in the Hazel Barnes. Uh, Gratitude is so close to hate. To be grateful for a kindness is to recognize that the other was entirely free in acting as he has done. And then on the next next page, you got this line. He who has once been for others is contaminated in his being for the rest of his days. Even if the other should be entirely suppressed, he will never cease to apprehend his dimension of being for others as permanent possibility of his being. This, like, you, you have to crush the, uh, the other... Um, uh, then this a little bit earlier, 490. Uh, love is a contradictory effort to surmount the factual negation while preserving the internal negation. I demand that the other love me and I do everything possible to realize my project. But if the other loves me, he radically deceives me by his very love. I demanded of him that he should found my being as a privileged object by maintaining himself as pure subjectivity confronting me. And as soon as he loves me, he experiences me as subject and is swallowed up in his objectivity confronting my subjectivity. And it's if that's hard to, 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 to make sense of just those lines, like that's I'm giving the, I'm giving the page numbers and the, and the lines to basically what everything that Todd, you, you just said about this. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, this, it's, this, it's, this, this, there, there is, there, it's like, it's kind of funny. Like for, like for one thing, like I, I, I like Sart clearly understands how to write a book. So I don't understand why he would, and everyone does this. I mean, like with the with uh the master servant dialectic that like this is the truth of Hegel and it's in the middle of the book like it's not a progression towards something and also even if you disagree with Hegel the fact that the app the end is called absolute knowing should kind of tip you off that there's it a trajectory tip you off. here right. you know so so again so whether you agree or disagree like the middle can't be sort of the truth of it that can't be the stopping point for the for the whole for his whole project so it's everybody it's, thinks that Ryan like yeah you know even even Robert Brandom who is a who wrote an 800 page commentary on it basically takes the idea of mutual recognition, which is in a certain sense founded on turning the master-servant dialectic into a success in some way, right? Okay. Uh, he takes mm-hmm. that as the end point of Hegel's philosophy. And then in order to do that, he just says, well, these last two sections on religion and absolute knowing, nothing really new is added, so I, we don't need to talk about them. That's basically mm-hmm. what he says. It's a commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I, I just, I don't know what to say about that. Like, it's just, yeah. but, but Sartre, it, it's just amazing the number of, I mean, look, here's, don't you think this is why? It's the most poetic, 
and well-written part of the phenomenology. Yeah, right? maybe. It's a great yeah. story. And so mm-hmm. people, I don't know, I, 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 I rack my brain to understand why people fall for it and fall for and and just take it out of its part in the whole, right? Like it, it's, it's interesting. just part of you the know, whole. You could be onto something. It's at least, it's at least for Sartre, like it, it does sound the most like the way Sartre writes. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, like there are all these examples, you know, I, I, I mentioned at the end of the last episode, the way he talks about the cafe, like, you know, yeah. it's a, it's a story. It's narrative. It's a story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, and there isn't, there isn't that much. I mean, when Hegel writes about book. the French revolution, you're like, what is he talking about? Heads of cabbage. <laughs> I don't know. Is it, is he really talking about the reign of terror? He never even mentions the reign of terror. Right. I've, yeah. He never says Robespierre. He never says anything, yeah. but the, Master Sir, he's at least talking about two characters, right? Right, so right, 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 right. I think it's I think it's the most concrete and thus the most the one people glom onto the most. But but I think that you know, the whole second half of this book is a is a testament to why you shouldn't do that. Mm, right? Yeah. Like you shouldn't well, because do that. He, because he holds on. Like I think he, I think he finds novel ways to do this. He, in the sentence being start, he finds novel ways to do this. But it, he keeps coming back, finding different ways to to try to um, justify immediacy as like yes. the the important uh, existential phenomenological. Uh, I, I don't know, like act and apprehension. Where mm. again. Hegel starts with that as the least trustworthy because, you know, as we went through it, when we went through the, the whole right. book, um, Sartre is trying to redeem it as the, like, and he finds different ways of doing this. Like, um, like, like, uh, intuition is a word he uses that like, and, and he valorizes this idea that, that like, we need to have this like, like an immediate intuition of something. And the sense making of that is like, is, is, is quite important to, uh, uh, to Sartre. And that's again, like that's, uh, Hegel's point is you need to, this is how I take it. Like you, you, you need to understand an idea, um, that is outside of your experience as intimately as you understand stubbing your toe in the middle of the night. Right. And I, and, and, and because it's, it's not that it's not like the way that, that I read it. And I think I, this is the way you read it too, right? It's not where we're, we don't start from immediacy and then we get to absolute knowing. Absolute knowing has to have this immediate, like this this intuition to it. But it is, of course, not reducible just right. to the immediate. Right. Like that's the whole right. trick. Absolutely. And I think, Absolutely. I think for Sartre, and it's in a sense, I think maybe Sartre under, understands that from one angle, but he it is it's very locked into um, a, a singular experience. And because he structurally, for him, the outside, the external, the other, there, there's like, there's nothing there. All that is there are traps. Right. And, and that take you away from yourself. Conflicts. So, so, yeah. Right? yeah con- Conflicts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's really good. And I think he, like, there's no sense, like for Hegel, a mediated collect, I mean, <laughs> ironically, Hegel, 100 years, 150 years earlier, was more a philosopher of language than Sartre, right? Like he, he yeah. understood the way in which the collectivity of language itself is the basis for our, the mediated basis mm-hmm. for our mm-hmm. individual subjectivity. And so you can't, right. 
You can't, you can't just say, first, I'm this isolated individual subject, and then I encounter these others that are always trying to take something from me and have competing desires. Well, no. First, you, first you're, 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 in the, you're, in, you're part of the collective. Your subjectivity doesn't fit within it. That's true. Right. And you're, I mean, he does, well, I like Sartre's idea that we're isolated and alone. That's our fundamental condition. But mm-hmm. we're isolated and alone together. That's, I think, right. that's Hegel's yes. point. And I think that's a, that's a pretty crucial difference from Sartrean existentialism, right? Like for, mm-hmm. he, for Sartre, we're, we're isolated and alone apart. But for Hegel, right. we're isolated and alone together. And so for Sartre, we're always, there's this fundamental conflict. I mean, Hegel thinks, yeah, there's conflicts. But think about the ways in which, I mean, Sartre never thinks about this. Like, the fun, the number of fundamental agreements that have to happen for us mm-hmm. to just get through the day like it's yeah. it is astonishing right like just the, like everyone agrees to stop at the red light right yeah. and if someone doesn't yeah. we told that i think with sometime we did that joke about a gomben in in rome with the taxi driver right like if someone <laughs> right, doesn't right. stop at the red light uh, they cause problems for everyone, right? Or, but that's a that's even an extreme example. I mean, most of the time, it's like you walk on the right side of the path, you you drive on the right side of the road, you you don't punch people as you're walking past them, <laughs> you know, like uh, you don't shout like obscenities to people as you're going down the road. You Todd, kind of can mind I, can, your yeah. Can I put it in? A, can I put it another way? Yeah. The amount of fundamental agreements you have to have to have a disagreement. Is not exactly. something that perfect enters yes. in here. Perfect, yeah. perfect, yeah. perfect, perfect. And I mean, it gets it gets obvious when we have to make a show of it. Like, let's a try. Let's agree to, that we can have this place to discuss. But but even bef- yeah. way before that, there's and Sartre just doesn't think about that at all. He just thinks mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't experience that. I don't experience <laughs> all. I experience is that other car coming down the road wants to hit me. I don't, mm-hmm. might hit me. I don't even, mm-hmm. it bothers me. I don't, I didn't, he never experiences that basic, you know, what would you call it? Like mediation's the term used it, like that used yeah. rightly, this basic symbolic mediation that knots everything together. Mm-hmm. And part of it, I think part of it, you use the term rightly to describe him is that he's a phenomenologist. And I think mm-hmm. that's, it's interesting Heidegger is too, and Heidegger kind of gets that in a way Sartre doesn't. Mm. Uh, but so anyway, but but I, I think that you know because he wants to take experience as the point of departure, and his experience is isolated. So right. Right. I'm not part of any collective. My experience is isolated. So, so right. that's his, that's his point of departure. Yeah. So the social has to be full of these things that right. are that that are taking from they're attacking at, us at right. all times, all the yeah. time. It's all the yeah. time attacking us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, um, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like this is, so, um, I think. Do, the, have the, you, can, can I ask you a quick okay. question? Do you think, it, 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 I just thought of this. Is it, okay. is there an element of psychosis to his thinking? Yes. Because of this? There is. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But I don't think it's entirely like, I don't, I don't think it's entirely, concrete until um critique a dialectical reason oh okay and and like like i because then i think it takes over completely okay um 
in in his in his. I'm not saying he had psychosis and then like twenty. No, obviously it's like, theoretical. I'm not, right, I'm not, right, yeah, right, theoretically right, speaking, right, right. Be, because I think there is um, there's uh, like I think there's an openness. There's more, much more of an openness about the subject here in this book that, uh, than there is later in Critique yeah. of Dialectical Reason, which is we're, which is not the next episode we're going to do, but I, I think we're going to... Coming up. T- coming up. And it's... I'll I'll say, the, say it then, I'll say it here. You, you can see it in... in I mean, because this is where some of my, my bread and butter, it, it comes in the way that he uh, talks about seriality. And there, there is a or reason the way he thinks about the Hollies, right? The Hollies, yeah. You, <laughs> you know mean, where I'm oh, going. That's with this? really, really funny by you. Bus stop, wet day. <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. Really, exactly. really nice. Yeah, yeah. good, good by you. Good, good on you. Well, it's the difference between this is. I'm going to do a whole thing about this, and the it'll make more more sense in the later episode. But he he goes from he goes from someone who in the cafe there you know, there, there are people, but you're, you're going to meet somebody and the whole situation of the cafe, there is this, like this, this, there's this gap. There's Pierre is not there. I go to right. the cafe. I try, I am expecting Pierre, but I arrive late and he's not there. And when I am there, the, the, the gap, the, uh, the, the vacuity, if you like of Pierre, eventually like emerges. And so there are all these people who are strangers to me in this cafe, but I go to this place. I am looking for my friend. I look in every face. I see a stranger. I don't see my friend. And so the nothingness that is my friend appears, but the crucial thing is that nothingness, it was there the whole time lurking, right. Right. It w- haunting our, you know, phenomenological e- experience of something is this, is this nothing that is a priori that is, that is, that is there in the social. And then you get to critique a dialectical reason. And he, when he talks about the bus stop, which again, we're going to do in a couple episodes, people are just a series. They're radically disconnected. And this like this glue, this like gap of nothing that is at the core of being that is at the center of subjectivity that is completely gone. It's gone. Yeah. It's, it's not there. It's not there at all. And so that's where I think he goes more into the, why you you said the, the psychosis, meaning this, like this complete, like this, he's, he's so, he's so, I guess I put it this way. He's so disillusioned by the social that he's not even looking for friends at the cafe anymore. Like what, like what's the point? Like, right. like why, like why, why would, why would we even do that? Yeah. And then, yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Go I was just going to say, I think I, what I really like about what, the way you're going with this is that there's something coextensive between recognizing the mediated collectivity and the encounter with the gap, right? Like, yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's what separates, say, you know, say, Ludwig Wittgenstein from Hegel, right? Like Hegel mm-hmm. sees the way in which there's this mediated collectivity informing all our relations, but he also sees that it manifests itself through what's missing in mm-hmm. the subject's experience or in the subject's uh, view of things. And But for Wittgenstein, it's this kind of perfect background, right? Like it doesn't, right. it's like the rules for chess, right? Like they don't, they don't, yeah, they yeah. don't, they don't go wrong. They just they set up the they set up the game, and so I think that that's a you know Sartre he gets the gap, but he doesn't 
even when he gets the gaff, though, he doesn't connect <laughs> it to the collectivity, right? Like there's right. no, again, that's his critique of Heidegger, that there's this, he, he, he thinks Heidegger is a philosophically, what would you call it? Like uh, he plays fast and loose philosophically with this mm-hmm. idea of mitzvah or being with because mm-hmm. he thinks you're, you just can't say there are others in the background. You have to prove it. And he thinks mm-hmm. from my isolated individual perspective, I can't prove that others exist except through these bad encounters, right? Like right. the bad encounter is the proof that the other exists. Well, okay, but Heidegger would say, and I think rightfully so, wait a minute, you're speaking. You didn't invent that language. Like so that seems like such an elementary problem that Sartre should have thought of, you, yeah. you, especially as a writer. Like you, like you didn't invent. Okay, you in, do you believe you invented all those words you're using? Well, then there are <laughs> others in the world. Sorry. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, it, I mean, and that inadvertently <laughs> is proving Hegel's point about immediacy, isn't it? That, I think like, right. Yes. To yes. Say, to yeah. for any of the like like again like any of these. Uh, like I, I like to, you and I both like this. When we start with the most extreme example and then you make it more mundane or you make it right. maybe even closer to something that you agree with, but and you see the structure. So here's the, the most extreme example, flat earthers. Okay. Like they're to, to, to do anything that they try to do. Like they the whole premise is that they've not independently observed that the earth is round. Right, and there, and that anyone who says this in their immediate is, experience, exactly exa- in their immediate right. experience, and anyone who's trying to do this is trying to trick you for yeah. some reasons. I whatever, um, the but again, it's like, did you independently observe that any of the words that you're using to express yourself mean what you think they mean? Right. No, no. that never happened. Also, like I'm positive that those people all the time, if they have to get somewhere they've never been to before. They either uh, they're probably using GPS, right? Or like, they take a flight, and the flight, flight relies on the curvature of the Earth to make all of its calculations to fly. So, right, and then I, well, yeah, I, this and, was always yeah, my exactly. point because Kyrie yeah. Irving, the basketball player, was a <laughs> famous right. flat earther. I just, if I was a pilot on a plane, I'd say, "Turn around, you're you're not allowed <laughs> on the plane because you don't. It, it's really not safe for you to come on a plane. If yeah. you really believe what you believe, you should not come on the plane." And right. if he just There's said, no well, I don't, so this will crash. Yeah. Right. That it's going to crash. And then if he said, I don't know that it's not true. I just have doubts. And, and you could say, well, I have doubts that it'll be successful. You got to get off the plane. <laughs> like you right. just, right, right, right. like, I just yeah. think, I really think there should be some mechanism for people to, and I think Sartre doesn't get this, right? Like he, to, to like fall, they have to follow the implications of their position to its, to its yes. logical point right to its logical Mm -hmm. conclusion otherwise like you're just you don't really mean it and i think a lot of people hold positions like flat earth is one Mm -hmm. i think anti-vax is another one right like i don't think you really mean what you think you mean by that position so i think that there's a lot of you know places where there's and it's the fail i think it, it comes back to this failure to see the role that mediation plays in Mm -hmm relation right and i think that's again sarts big failing we're going to get to another one really soon but yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i think i think that's a great point i um and 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 a nice uh a nice a nice capper for for that section like it it is this um 
like there is a, a like I, I don't think that he, he's not I, I don't know that he's par- he I don't know that he's perilously close to 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 being a, a flat earther or or, or, an, or an anti-vaxxer but like he's a, he is too close I think mm-hmm. bec- because he's yeah because it's it's too much a very but again this like again this is the part where we've been criticizing him but like why why are these he's these aren't just individual positions that come out of nowhere that are disconnected from other things. These are all connected to his whole thing. Right. And, right, and, and that's, that's why, that's why these problems emerge, which is why. Absolutely. And I, I, I think that, I think Ryan, that he thinks if he gives ground on universal mediation, then he's going to yeah. lose freedom. And I think yes. that's his great yeah. fear. And yeah. I don't think that that's true, obviously. But I also think that's why he won't give ground on the idea of the unconscious, right? Because he thinks if I give up the idea that there is no unconscious, that is, if I grant that there is an unconscious, then yes. where is freedom? I've lost it. He yes. can't think like maybe the unconscious itself is the source of my freedom because it's the index of how I don't fit within the situation, right? Like he thinks... The problem is he thinks unconscious must just mean conformity, right? It must just mean... Or, or Todd, there's a master inside you that you have no access to. Right. That's what I mean. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, But, (laughs) yeah, and and then that leads, I think, to this cockamamie idea of desire... Which is, yeah. I shouldn't have said cockamamie because it's, it's, <laughs> it's, I got in trouble for saying pipsqueak last time in reference to, <laughs> to Jean Baudrillard, which I, I, I want to apologize for this time because I, I, I don't like that kind of dismissive reference to a thinker. All mm-hmm. I meant by it, can I clarify, <laughs> was that, that I don't think Yeah, walk, he walk would, it back. Let's back the, back, let's here's back what the I truck meant. up. I meant, yeah, okay. I didn't, th- I don't think he's well-schooled in German idealist thought. That's why I called him a philosophical pipsqueak. And uh-huh. that leads him to be nostalgic mm. about an earlier epoch when we had some more direct access to things. That's, that's, mm. that's, that's it. That's all I was saying. So anyway, but there we go. I, 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 I apologize like, for ju- it. Nonetheless. Just like any regular pipsqueak, but continue. Okay. All right. <laughs> but here's what I think is cockamamie about... <laughs> Sorry, sorry about these words. Another, another from, word I don't think you've ever used previously. I know they I, come I, from I my grandparents or whoever okay. from you know Southern Ohio. Who knows what people say? Um, mm-hmm. So, so I, I, I think that the the idea is that for him, desire is just the desire to take to 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 gobble things up, and mm-hmm. never the desire to maybe undermine oneself right or to mm-hmm. or to even have somebody else do it for me right like right. like when he says all human desire is desire to be god i'm like yeah. what that's kind of crazy like i think most believers are like wait a minute i want someone else to be god i don't want to have to do that that seems mm-hmm. like a lot i mean i don't I can't it's an awful even, lot of social responsibility. There's a lot of social responsibility, right? Yeah. Like, I want to be able to kick back and, you know. And so I think, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I just, not, I'm not sure. I totally reject it. I mean, it's, 
uh, like who, like you're in a, let's say you're in a room at a party, right? I could try to remember what it's like. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're in a room at a party. You're yeah. like, how can I best conquer this room? I'll tell all the, be- no, you're mm-hmm. like, how can I maybe make, help these people have a decent time? Mm-hmm. How can I like survive this intact? How can I, mm-hmm. you know, like, I think, isn't aren't those the kind of things people think? I don't think they think like, how can I conquer everyone in this room? Like they're the, not conquer physically, but psychically, yeah. right? Like I just, I, I think that that's just such a, I, I don't know who is it, who's influence there? Is it Nietzsche's influence? Cause it's, hmm. it's the opposite of Freud's. Yeah, for sure. For Freud, desire, like Sartre thinks desire wants to realize itself to, to mm-hmm. achieve this conquest. And then it's sad mm-hmm. when it's, it's like, um, you know, you know this line from Die Hard where, uh, where the Hans Gruber, Hans Gruber says, and Alexander wept for he had mo- no more worlds, no more to, worlds conquer. to conquer. Yes. Right. So yeah. I've, it's if you if one researches this, it's very difficult to find what the actual text it's from. So mm-hmm. there's the sense that maybe John McTiernan or uh, what's the act Alan Rickman made it up. Oh, Alan but, Rickman, yeah. But no, I mean there's there's certain things that are clear. And then I I was just reading actually in Simone Vale that she says almost exactly the same thing. So it must exist. Interesting. People. That, Interesting. Problem is that people that watch Die Hard <laughs> are not the kind of people that would know where that comes from. Inclusive of me. So, uh, yeah, yeah, me too. But, yeah. but I think that's Sartre's vision of the disappointment of desire. Whereas for Freud, the disappointment of desire is that it, it's constantly, like it, it feeds on its disappointment. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't, because it's not trying to realize itself in an object. It's, 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 it's radically indifferent to the object. And, and Sartre could, has just no conception of that at all. Yeah. Well, par- part of the problem is that for him, th- like he, I mean, he says this and he establishes, establishes this at n- numerous points in the book that like to be made object by the other is like uh, absolutely untenable. Horrible. Like, like Horrible. The, it, yeah, like, like, you know, so Lacan has this idea, if you're familiar with it, that like, um, so he doesn't phrase it this way. I, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little, little loose with this, but like um, when you are in a social situation, and like, let's say, uh, uh, let's just say a job interview. I think it's a good, good example. A lot of people have been in a job interview, a lot of different things. Like everyone, f- I, I, I would expect, uh, maybe, maybe there's some percentage of people who don't like you feel some me- measure of discomfort in the, the job interview, no matter how confident you may be, because you don't know what you're going to be asked. And at some point you'll wonder if that was the right thing to say that thing that you said. Correct. And what happens is this would from the Lacanian reading is that like, you don't know what object you are for the other in that scenario. Like who are, are you the right candidate? Are you exactly the wrong candidate? Are you, are you, are you going to become a story for, you know, their friends? Like, Oh my God, you won't believe this person that came into like, like is your understanding of the job, their understanding of the job. Therefore, if your understanding is different from their understanding, then everything you've said is slightly inappropriate because you're coming at all of your answers from a different angle. It's so that, uh, that under that, you don't know what object you are for the other that produces a tremendous, that's a tremendous amount of anxiety. Here's the, now I think 
Sartre would agree with probably you all agree of that, with that. And, yeah. and say that it's horrible, but here this would this is the Lacanian thing. That person doesn't know what object you are for them. <laughs> right. They they have no idea. Like, and right. it's especially clear if you've if you've ever been on the other side where you've been interviewing people, you don't know what you're looking for. You don't even know what you're looking for. You don't know what you're looking for. You don't know what the answers are. You're just asking yeah. questions. Yeah. Like, like that, like that's it. And, and like, and even though if you know that it's still, you have to interview for something or apply for something or like, you know, uh, like, like whatever, like you still, you still have it in your head. Like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing here. Or if you're yeah. advising other people who are going to be in that situation, like, and, and you have some experience about what that precise thing is like, you, you don't know, like it, it's hard because it's not known, but, you feel like there is it's the same, like, like months and months and months ago, I gave the example of like one of the only things I liked about the lockdown portion of the pandemic is after it was eased and you went back into stores, there were things on the floor that told you where to stand. Right. And cause I all, cause I never know where to stand. Like, unless right. it's like really, really clear at a grocery right. store or whatever, like where the line starts. Right. And like, like that was like a very clear, like, like, like right. trace, like, like that's a scar on the symbolic, like, ah, I can stand there and, yeah. and no one will think I'm weird or wrong. But it, it, and that was just like a relief for me because, because I always think that I'm wrong, even though that I know that there's no way to be right. Like, I mean, you know, you, you can't stand on top of the, the, uh, the stanchions or whatever. Like that's like being very wrong. Like that's being right. like a total, uh, uh, like social terrorist uh, to the to to the uh, everyday function of a situation, but like yeah. so, there are ways to be really really wrong. But like there there's not there's not this right answer that you intuit there must be, and so right. that's on Lacan's side. And Sartre doesn't have a notion of that. Like what he has is that that feeling that he gets from the other. That is. I mean, a symbolic castration is what it is, but like that is taking something from him, and he we we have to you have to act in a way where you are fleeing that that social injunction and impediment, which for psychoanalysis, that's a fact of the social itself. And like, you can't, you can't fight it from, you can't fight it. You can't separate yourself because you get your, you're inaugurated into language through the social. How do you learn language? How does anyone learn language? It's from other people. Yeah. So it's interesting. All, all that stuff is not in, is is not in SART. And that's um, great. I want to hear your response, but I've got a great, I've got a great quote from Sartre that if he okay. had a notion of the unconscious would good. perfect, would fit perfectly. But I want to hear what you have to say. That go, go, no, go read it. No, 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 no. I've been talking for a lot. What, what, okay. What was okay. Well, here's what, here's what I would say. I thought that was all great. And I would say, isn't Sartre's idea, and, and tell me how this is not true. Isn't he mm-hmm. a little like, and he's a more ethical guy than this. But isn't he a little, isn't his view of the world, and this is why you said the Ayn Rand thing, a little like Alec Baldwin and Glengarry Glenn Ross, like uh-huh. always be closing, right? A, B, yeah. C, always be closing, right? Like yeah. it's, yeah. He, he, he comes in, he berates these sales guys for not really doing, not really conquering the yeah. other, right? Like they're confronted with all these others and they're not, he, you don't, you're, what you are is you're wanting. That's what he says to them. Like you mm. don't, you don't have the. You, he he has a lot of profane references, but he's like you, what you don't have is the ability to follow through on mm-hmm. what you desire and what they desire. He imagines that desire is very clear. Like he even says, some guy says to him, "What's your name?" and he puts his watch down on the. And he goes, that's a $70,000 watch. That's my name, <laughs> right? Like, so, yeah, so right, right, this, right. There's this, it's by the way, Baldwin's best performance ever. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. 
although he's probably going to be in jail in, in a year. But um, don't uh, don't be producer of a movie if you're not going to be a producer of a movie. That would be my advice. I guess that's yeah. There you go. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Um, yeah. But I I think it's it's just that that idea of this that the social field is a there's something I like about it, but then there's something radically bourgeois and capitalistic about it, right? Like it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's the social field is just utterly conflictual. It's utterly conflictual. And well, I think in one way that's true, but then we've already talked about all the ways that misses these hidden agreements. I think a who was it? Elizabeth Warren or Obama? They they would constantly say, "You didn't build that," and I think mm. this was a way of saying this thing, right? Like, there's mm. this whole web of agreement behind yeah. your yeah, individual yeah, yeah. act, and I think, yes, Sartre, somebody needs to say to Sartre, "You didn't build that." Right? Like, that's yeah. the that's and which is which is saying you're symbolically castrated. Don't fi-. and to say yeah. don't fight it doesn't mean like, you know, don't fight against oppression. It means this is something that actually enables you to fight against oppression, your symbolic castration. That's your freedom. It's not, it's not like, it's not something taken away from you. It's something, I mean, it's, it's what's taken away from you is nothing. I think Mm. that's what he doesn't quite get. Go ahead. Yeah. In the, well, no, and that's a great transition to the, uh, to the thing that I'm going to get to. It is funny that like, what he see he sees as like he sees that we need to get away like like in in our terms the project should be you should never feel symbolically castrated whereas right. like we're and like and to fight against symbolic castration is not a political project it, in fact that's probably or actually it is it's the fascistic project uh, <laughs> right. is 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 what it is um right. so he miss so i, I think he he misses that that whole coordinates and it is it is interesting that he doesn't see the that like I, I like the way you put it this like fundamental web of agreement that is in the background of everything that he's saying because he does start from like way far out for for his idea to to help to explain the nothing so but he does but he doesn't start far back enough, I guess, because if he started all the way back in the web of agreement, I don't know that he could have, I don't know that he, he, he could have sustained uh, the, the things that he say, he says, uh, which is why structurally there can't be unconscious for him. Right. Because if there's unconscious, then it actually, it helps to, it, it answers and mitigates a number, uh, a number of the things that he brings up that he poses as problems that are things that we need to flee from. So just, Imagine, so I'm going to read something. This is on 568. So imagine hearing this line. Um, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to ask the listener to do two two things at once, which is especially difficult for Paul Eisenstein, who's driving right now. So <laughs> be really careful, Paul. So I'm going to have you have to do two things at once uh, with 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 this. So I want you to hear this uh, as imagine someone saying this who has no notion of unconscious, because that is what Sartre has. And right. also hear it as someone who believes, uh, as, as Freud says, the unconscious means the master is not at home. Okay. That, uh, so here's, here's the line. Freedom in its foundation coincides with the nothingness, which is at the heart of man. Human reality is free because it is not enough. It is free because it is perpetually wrenched away from itself and because it has been separated by a nothingness from what it is and from what it will be. So now 
here's where I want to do the two things. For the for for the person who understands the unconscious, I think that nothingness is is you just swap it out. You 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 swap unconscious in yeah for nothingness yeah. And, and I mean, I'll read it again. Freedom in its foundation coincides with the unconscious, which is at the heart of man. Human reality is free because it is not enough. It is free because it is perpetually wrenched away from itself and because it has been separated by an unconscious from what is and from what it will be. Now, that last thing, that doesn't make as much sense, but the first That kind of makes sense even. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, so, that's why, I mean, isn't that why he's so great? Because... <laughs> yeah. Even when yeah. he's wrong, yes. he kind of yeah. he kind of has it right in a way, right? Like yeah. I think there's something pretty great. Yeah, about no, that. It, I I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's it is. It's int- I mean, there's the um. It's because of the nothing. It's because of the nothing. It's, it's the, the nothing. that's. I think that's the key to what makes him such a great thinker, is that mm-hmm. he has this sense of the role that nothing plays in and negation plays in our existence. And I think that that saves him from a lot of these other, I mean, clearly Alec Baldwin doesn't have a sense of nothing in, (laughs) in, in Glengarry Glen Ross, right? Like that's the, cause then that say that then it doesn't redeem, but it then color statements like this is later as a seven thirty eight. He says the idea of discovery of revelation includes an idea of appropriative enjoyment. What is seen is possessed to see is to deflower. Yeah. Really? Like, you know, I mean, that just seems so off to me. Like that, mm-hmm. that, because what's odd is in his conception of the gaze, which I think both of us believe really presages Lacan's in important ways, mm-hmm. different in some ways that are important as well. But he, seeing is not deflowering. Seeing is, no. seeing is being at the whim of what is seen. So I think there's, he's really conflicted, I think. Mm. And I, and I, I think it's his, I think it's the starting point of phenomenological mastery, isolated Mm -hmm. subjectivity that gets him into trouble. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, well here, this is a little bit slightly earlier, 728. Here's one of the money lines on the existential psychoanalysis section is the empirical psychoanalysis, which is his phrase for, psychoanalysis as such um empirical psychoanalysis in fact is based on the hypothesis of the existence of an unconscious psyche which on principle escapes the intuition there's that word of the subject existential psychoanalysis rejects the hypothesis of the unconscious it makes the psychic act coextensive with consciousness so he he has to do that yeah because everything has to be it's like you can you could do it two different ways. You could say he's backed into a corner on this, or like he's led here linearly. I, either way is fine uh, for me as a as a metaphor. But like that has to be his conclusion because his his this whole thing rests on not just experience, but like on conscious experience, on 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 experience that like you are aware of because like he there you can't you can't have an idea of unconscious that's coextensive with experience but that you're aware of like that doesn't make it doesn't make sense that's not that's that's not the that's not the idea and he, the reason why he does that is because that that idea doesn't it doesn't fit in 
in, in any of this system. It, it, in fact, right. it not just doesn't fit it, it. It imperils it. Like for him, you know, one of these things, like I, I, I'm pretty sure I stole this from you, but like when, when I am ever teaching psychoanalysis for the first time to a group of students or like, like psychoanalytic theory, like I like to start with the, just like, just the question, which is, do you think that people don't always do things for the reasons they think they do them? I've never had a student say no. Right. Right. Every, every, everyone says yes to that. Everyone says yes. And it's like, everyone, everyone says yes. And because that is a basic, that is a fundamental gesture from which Freud in any, any stripe of psychoanalysis that goes, goes forward from. And so like, you know, there are points where like there are arguments that are articulated and conclusions that like, you know, you or I, or, you know, someone may have disagreement with, but that basic premise Like that's fundamental to the unconscious as such. And Sartre can't have that. I don't think, I don't think he can have that. No, I I agree. Right. I agree. I agree. Like that's a real limit. And, and I think it's, it's funny how that coincides with this in the, I mean, it's not funny. I guess it makes sense. This inability to understand desire, right. To think Mm -hmm. desire is always desire for mastery. And mm-hmm. then any failure of mastery is then it, it like, he explains horror, <laughs> right? As the inability to master something. And that right. just, sorry, like he, he says this thing about slime very famously, right? That, that I'm horrified by slime because I, mm-hmm. it's the index of my failure to master the world. Well, that mm-hmm. just, that, that, sorry. There, I think, like, I think Julia Kristeva is a little <laughs> better on why slime is, like, it's some maternal, clearly it's more related to some maternal abject, mm-hmm. or even, even not that, like some kind of other thing that I desire, right? Like, mm-hmm. that isn't that the Freudian, the greatness, one of the great parts of the Freudian project, that if I'm not, if I'm really horrified by something, my desire yeah. must be wrapped up in it at the yeah, same time. Yeah, it's bound up in that. Yeah. And he there, doesn't there think some, that. Some, so, there's, so, so then where you do the psychoanalytic read of that is that there is a, there is something binding in slime. Right. For sorry. Right. And, for, and, and yeah. that, that, that remains uninterrogated. Should mention, we had someone really nicely reach out to us who has uh, written a book that I think has just come out. Uh, it's a professor at a uh, university of Oregon. Um, uh, Chris, I've never said your last name out loud, so I hope I get it right. Christopher Mischlig. I went kind of, I, I tried to, I didn't know if it'd be a s- soft CH or a hard CH. So I kind of tried. At to least I didn't try to do it. Cause I would have gotten it wrong for sure. You, you would have gotten got it wrong. It right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, M I C H L I G. If you put that into the Google machine and you look for it, this book on slime, which has a one, I, um, something I said a long, long time ago, um, that I, that is that the more that you care about books and ideas, I think the more the cover matters. And this is just like a really, you like the cover. Wonder- I yeah. love it. I love this yeah. R.L. Stein green. I, I love it. It's really, okay. really nice. Cool. So anyway, cool. we haven't read the book yet, so I, I don't, I don't know where um, uh, his argumentation come, uh, comes on this. But someone, just because we said in the beginning of the last episode, people aren't really doing media studies or studies of media objects and and SART. Like there is uh, one person someone who is. is so someone some, someone is. So I want wanted to put that out there. But Good but yeah. But the 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 um the the bind the glue aspect of it. I think he's just 
is 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 is, is he misses like there, there is yeah. like the glue to that which provokes horror and yeah. that makes you recoil like those are all the those are all the places for sorry that is uh, represents that's where you t- you turn away and we yeah. need to we need to surpass that but the and so you could see why he wouldn't like psychoanalysis which says where you recoil mm, there's something there for you there's right. something in you more than you in that right. thing and Sartre, who's wrapped up in mastery like of course he would hate that yeah of course why, he like he, he yeah. can't he can't he cannot accept that in his in his right. system like like it, it, ha- it has to be something to escape which is a, a word that comes up increasingly toward the end all of the, the time the right yeah right i mean it's interesting because on the other hand he does see the way in which freedom requires limits right like yeah like he yeah. doesn't think like the one objection to his system was wait a minute you're always in a situation there are always obstacles to your freedom and he says something like you only encounter an obstacle because you're free so he does yeah, see yeah, 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 yeah. although maybe yeah. you could say like that formulation itself is the problem right like hmm. it could what if it was you're only free because you encounter an obstacle like that's yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's okay. almost like that's the like everything is in that statement you encounter yeah. an obstacle because you're free no that starts no you're free because you encounter an obstacle. So I think, that, I mean, because mm-hmm. in other ways he, he, well, I don't know. I mean, I want to, I want to conclude on something nice about him, but then I'm, maybe mm-hmm. I'm going to qualify it. So <laughs> he says, it's only after you've, how's he put it? That you've created a project of changing the situation that then mm. the situation becomes intolerable. Right. So, yeah. So you can, so oppression for him is not defined objectively by the situation. It's defined mm-hmm. by, okay, I've created a project to get out of it. Now the situation seems oppressive, right? Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. I, I don't know, when I was uh, in in a terrible high school class, it just didn't seem mm-hmm. oppressive because I just had to sit in that class. But then when I was in a terrible college class, I'm like, wait a minute, mm. I could get out of here. I don't have to stay in this class. Then it's, right, I right. felt like it was oppressive, right? So that's pretty good. Uh, so I think that's the that's what he's getting at as the the difference between you know the 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 way in which the project can mm-hmm. uh, affect the, how we relate to the situation. I think that's really good, and it makes me think of. Do you know this film, City of God? It's a Brazilian. Film. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's a great film, I think, and and. It shows, I think people may object to it because it shows one person this, this horrible situation, but then one person gets out. And it, But I think the idea of that film is that situation appears oppressive because we're from the perspective of this one kid that get, he gets out as a photographer. Like he mm-hmm. gets out of this oppressive situation, right? Like if you're just... I think if you if that film just only focused on everybody that's just trapped in there, it mm-hmm. would just seem pathetic. It would just yeah. seem pathetic in the sense not in the sense of like it's pathetic and worthless, but pathetic in the sense of like you feel bad for a trapped animal, right? Like you can't Yeah. There's nothing you can you have, do. It's it's you hopeless. Have sympathy. We've done something this is just a quick point. We have done something socially to the word pathetic where we've made it pitiable. Where yeah. what pathetic means is pathetic, sympathy, empathy. Like you have feeling for, but just I, I think know. about like 
socially, like all the times you say someone's pathetic, it means they're beyond sympathy. That's I know. Like socially fact, what that means. That it's crazy? not what it means. And it's interesting because I play tennis, people know I play tennis all the time. And I often will say that was pathetic and it doesn't have, so I have to say, I have to, I kind of catch myself and I go, because I'm just talking to myself, but very loudly. I'm like, yes. that's dripping with pathos, that shot. And then it makes sense, <laughs> right? But if I yeah. just say it's pathetic, it just sounds like, oh, it just was bad. But no, my point mm-hmm. is there was no actual human transcendence involved in that shot whatsoever. It's <laughs> pretty so, good. Yeah, but but I think you're. that's a great point about that way that term has been redefined. But it's, I think it's really crucial that there has to be Sartre's really against pathos, right? Because he mm-hmm. really wants this idea of you can, you can change your... And, and it's interesting, Herb Marcuse really attacked him for this because he's just mm. like, look, there are some situations where you can't do anything. And Sartre's yeah. point was, look, even if you're in jail condemned to death, you don't, they don't control what you're thinking and how you relate sure. to your death. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I think about that. I find something kind of... I'm I'm sort of always tempted to take Sartre's side against everyone, even though I I have all these criticisms that we've laid out. I just, I feel like that, at least on that idea of freedom, I feel like he's really pretty great. Can I say something about this? So this is just occurring to me. You you knock it back if if you you find an error in it. But I think that's a great idea, but I don't think that should be his idea. Because I think his point should be, if he's as consistent as we've been saying that he is, which, I think his idea should be that's the ultimate social determining who you are as subject. And I think for him to have that idea, I think this this is what I think. I like that idea a lot, same as you, but I think that means he has to completely reconfigure what he thinks about the social. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, to be, to be literally condemned like that by the external, but for him to insist that That there's nothing that you're still free, that does nothing to the internal. I think that there is, there's a gap in there that has to overturn the way that in a, in a Sartrean way, the way you think about the social. That's yeah. what, that, yeah. that's what I would yeah, think. Cause it's, cause, cause there's a difference between opposition and gap, right? Yes. That's I, yeah, what, I would, I would say that. Yeah. And that he always thinks of it as an opposition right. and not as there's a gap within my relation to the social or mm-hmm. within this, I exist in the gap of the social, right? Like right, that. right. Yeah. No, he, no, he certainly doesn't say that. He, no, he's d- definitely not saying that here. And he's certainly not saying that in critique of dialectical reason. Right. For sure. But, but in that idea, it, it is, it is, you are in the gap. But right. I think, yeah, but I do think it does. I think it's nice because I mean, you can imagine it doesn't just mean that you have to think innerly rebel against. It could be like, I mean, this would be a Hegelian point. Like you're condemned to death and you're like, you know what? I deserved it. I'm yeah, going to, yes. this is as a free subject. I have to embrace the death penalty here because if I didn't, then I, my mm-hmm. freedom would have been just a sham beforehand. I mean, that's why Hegel Absolutely. is for the death penalty. Right. So mm. wrongly in my view, but nonetheless, yeah. that, that was yeah. his, I, so I, I do think that there is something to that, that you even, like the, your your situation can be determined, but how you experience that situation can never be determined. But again, mm-hmm. that speaks to your idea that there's this gap operative, right? That that's right. where well, subjectivity yeah, and, exists. Yeah. Yeah, and I th- and I think that 
for him to have that, he has to, he, he has to lose something else, but, it, but he, he doesn't, he has the two things that I think are at there. They're, they're, they're with, each with each other. Yeah. yeah. That's what it, that's not. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. interesting. It's interesting that idea. And then I, I, I think one thing, so I'm going to say something nice, uh, which I, that I like a lot is his, um, he has this, this idea that like you, he wants to be really clear that what he's saying about, um, existential, uh, philosophy and, and phenomenology and phenomenology like is not and the nothing. Okay. Is not the, it's not the same as like, there's a problem with saying I didn't ask to be born and I am therefore in this, this, uh, like the situation, this like despairing situation that, uh, that, that I, that I didn't ask to, that I didn't ask to be in that this is, this is, this is the, this is my, my situation and right. I, I don't, I don't want a part of it. Right. And, and I, and so I, I refuse it in some way because any, I, I, I don't have the page number, um, right in front of me on this, but I, I found it really, really interesting. He said that, that you actually make yourself live. You actually like, in a sense, like, like, like theoretically you, you give birth to yourself with that statement is kind of, is, is, is his point is that yeah. you, because what yeah. he means is you make yourself a fullness of being when you, when you say or think that I didn't ask to be born like for him, you're that's, that's too full. What you have just obviated and ignored is the nothing that is at the, the heart of being that is at the center of this right. project right. of his. Right. And that, so again, like maybe why I like that is because that seems to inhere a kind of gap in the social, in the self, in existence as such that I find really provocative and helpful to think through. Yeah. And which is not coincidentally at the center of my own work. So like, it, so maybe that's selfish on my part. Uh, but I, but I part of his thinking. It's a, yeah, it's a crucial part. Well, it's a crucial part of his thinking. And I, I suppose I, I just don't like, it's just like, we'll see it when we get to critique a dialectical reason. I, I just think it's, it's like, I just think it's weird that he wrote that book. Like, I don't think it's weird that someone wrote it. I just think it's strange that he wrote it. Here's what in the my way view that he is. Did. So we'll yeah. get to this, but my view is that he gets, it's too hard to reconcile for him, his kind of existentialism with Marxism. And it's okay. too, it's just too, it can't do it. And that's the problem. Okay. But okay. We'll, we'll talk about that. So we'll what's the lesson, that. Ryan? I don't know. Um. Well, so we had a lot, right? We had uh, City of God. I think that's a good, that's a good lesson. We had Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I don't think that's ever been a lesson. Yeah. Um, we also had the Alexander Wept for the No More World to Conquer. So there's Die Hard, but that was a Christmas film. Interestingly, to to, to make a kind of, uh, tie that you weren't aware of in 30 rock. There's some point where Alec Baldwin's character, uh, Jack Donaghy comes close to the ca camera and says, and Alexander wept for there are no more worlds to conquer. Then he rests a beat and says, Hans Gruber died hard because it, like, like that anyway. So <laughs> that's pretty uh, funny. So it ties everything together. Um, except I, it may actually be true, right? It may that actually be, be true. No, yeah, I don't so think it is I, again. Cause I've read it in Simone Vale. So you read it someone else's thing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, go with um city of god i haven't thought city about that film in a long time okay yeah. it's a classic yeah all right over Makes and sense. out ryan over and out Todd.